and welcome to the Sacred City Life Podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean, pastor of Sacred City Church in Davenport, Iowa. And this podcast is all about helping you follow Jesus in the everyday, normal rhythms of life. And today I am uh, in my office here with my assistant, Kevin Knorr. Hey, guys. And uh, Mr. Flashy New Shoes, Deacon of Sacred City Youth, Alex Tate. That's me. Now tell me what these are. So these are the uh, Z97s. Z97s? Yeah. They're fresh, I can tell. I mean, White is popping. They're the tall. Thing about it, there's a lot of people that like, think I get the newest shoes all the time, but I mean, my old job, I always had to wear steel toe boots. So I would just collect them and build up my sneaker game, and then you got to bring them out from time to time. So a lot of the kids are just like, whoa. So because you only had to wear boots, you could afford to buy a bunch of sneakers? Is that what you're saying? I guess. That's, <laughs> that's true. They're pretty dope. My, my kid's into those all those flashy sneakers. So... Well, we're not talking about sneakers today. Uh, we are talking about worldview. And um, hopefully you saw our podcast from last week, uh, Introduction to Worldview. This is going to be a reoccurring kind of topic and theme. And really, this whole podcast really is about helping you have a Christian worldview and understand how Scripture applies to every single thing in life. Um, but one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is... What should our posture be towards the culture, right? What should our posture be towards the culture? Um, and there were times earlier on in the church where I kind of felt more um, at ease in the culture, maybe. Yeah. And now I'm feeling more, I hate to say this word, but maybe this is, maybe this is the wrong word. It's coming to my mind, more antagonistic towards the culture. Mm. Like I feel... I could get along in the culture a decade ago and I, and I could kind of go with the flow in some things, but now our culture has shifted in such a way uh, or maybe it's just my understanding of scripture or my understanding of the culture or whatever has is, is grown and, and changed where now I feel that um, when I say something kind of harsh or if I say something like not nice about the culture, mm-hmm. people are like, oh my goodness, that like doesn't cancel. <laughs> yeah, you might yeah. get canceled, but people think like, "Oh, that's not missional." Yeah. Like if, if people walk away from me, that's not missional. Like the goal in life is to keep all these people in relationship so that Jesus might save them. And if I say something harsh or say something toward against their worldview, or if I say something is sinful, yeah. then those people are going to run away from me. Mm-hmm. So that can't be missional. Well, I I I think that's a misunderstanding. I under, totally get where they're coming from. But I think it's a misunderstanding of what it means to be faithful to Scripture and faithful Christian, and also a misunderstanding of what it means to um, contextualize the gospel in a culture or um, be Christ's, little Christ's, little Jesus's here, Christians in this culture. So uh, so we're going to kind of break this idea down. We're going to use the book Living at the Crossroads, one of the chapters in this book. It's an introduction to Christian worldview, and it's... It's a great book, um, but this this whole chapter is about how we're meant to engage the culture. And, and right away, we talked about this last time, but um, the first thing we have to remember is that the Christian worldview is a comprehensive story, yeah. okay? 
And that means it, a comprehensive means it explains where we come from. Mm -hmm. It explains why we're here. Yeah. It explains our purpose in life. It tells us exactly how we're to live and behave. There's very little room for, you know, nuance. When, it, when you read the scriptures, it tells you, you know, who you can have sex with, who you can't have sex with. It tells you what to do with your money. It tells you uh, how, how to treat your body. It tells you how to treat the environment. It tells you how to treat the law and mm -hmm. how to treat society and how to treat government. It, it's an all-encompassing worldview, okay? Yeah. Now, it's a comprehensive story that is at odds with other stories and worldviews. So everybody else in our culture, their worldview is also comprehensive, mm -hmm. okay? This is why when you watch a, nat a nature documentary, unless you go and you watch The Riot and the Dance, which you should, if you have not watched The Riot and the Dance yet, repent and find that <laughs> and download it and watch it, okay? Lord, forgive me. Listen to this. 7% of our society are atheists. 100% of the people who make nature documentaries are atheists, okay? They're, that should tell you something. Something's going on there. If you watch a nature documentary, you basically have to have to yell at the screen. If you're watching it with your kids and it's not right in the dance, you have to go, oh, oh, oh hold on, kids. That's not true. That's not true. Mm. For every, they just, they lie through their teeth. They, they, you know, they, they, uh, they think we came from nothing, right? They believe 100% in all aspects of evolution that we just evolved from a bunch of goo. They, they even think that, that human beings are, uh, are a cancer on, on, on the world, on the world stage. So it's like, watch a nature documentary and hear them talk how talk bad about humanity and how awful yeah. we are. And then hear about millions and millions of years ago when we were toxic sludge on the, you know, whatever. Yeah. That's a comprehensive worldview. It's, it says where, where they believe we came from. It says what they believe we're here for. What does it mean to be a man or a woman? What's the purpose in life? Where are we going? Those nature documentaries tell you. Climate change and everything's going to either burn up and we're freeze, going to freeze to death. And guess what? We're going to be a dead planet just like the moon. And so that's where we're headed. Wow. Wow, kids. All right, go ahead and have fun. Eat your peanut butter and jelly sandwich now as we watch this <laughs> no hope there. nihilistic video. Bedtime. What? And the kids are like, but the animals are so cool. We're like, yeah, because there's a better story out there. A good creator God created those animals. Yeah, for and sure. And there is meaning and purpose. So I say all that to say everyone's worldview is comprehensive, but what we fail to realize is that these alternating worldviews or alternative worldviews are actually at odds with one another. Yeah. They're in mm -hmm. war. Mm -hmm. It's really a cultural warfare with one another. They don't get along nicely. Yeah. And the scary part is too that, I mean, the more you look at the world is everyone's filling their cup up with the culture and the culture's world view. And the more we do that, I mean it's hard to even get the gospel in there because it's, it's so full already with the culture where then a lot of people aren't even filling their cup up with scripture or filling their, yeah. their cup up with anything from a biblical worldview. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And I just, I, we mentioned it last time, I took the peers test, the peers worldview test. It was a lot different than I thought it was going to be. Um, I scored a 71, which is, up in biblical theism, so it's the top. It's like, it's, but not the top. There's top, like, if you get up to, like, 90, you're, like, a, a, a scholar, I think. Mm. I scored a 71. Uh, I haven't been able to interpret that yet. They haven't sent me all my papers back to, to let me know what I missed or whatever. This is the pretest. You can actually then study and then take it, you know, 
take it in your weak areas. So like a Myers-Briggs Enneagram nah, type it's, thing? It's, it's more just about your worldview. And it's asking oh, okay. politics, economic questions, social justice stuff. Really? Biblical, you know, scripture, ask all that kind of stuff. Now, here's why I bring it up. Most Christian, most quote-unquote Christian kids take this worldview test and they're in the bo- they're like in the bottom ten percent. Mm. Yeah, and it, that's a socialist worldview. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to be uh, teaching our kids a biblical worldview because the worldview they're getting from public education right now and from all the TV's the shows they're watching is basically a socialist yeah. worldview. So this book, how how do they talk about that comprehensive story there? Yeah, they say um, that they have emphasized two truths that they believe to be foundational to the cultural task of Christians. The first truth is about who Jesus Christ is. He is the creator and redeemer of all things who rules all of history and is moving it to his appointed end. Jesus is Lord. Pause. What they mean by that is there is not one aspect of culture that is not under his lordship. Yeah. Everything we do in politics needs to be submitted to the lordship of Christ. If it's not then it's in sin and we shouldn't be participating with it, right? Right. It's outside of his lordship. There is no, the state is not outside of the, the lordship of Jesus Christ. Right. If the state is not operating under the lordship of Christ, then we as Christians have a right to resist the state. Hmm. Okay. So first off, there's nothing outside of the realm of Jesus Christ. Um, Do you have an example, maybe like what state that people could like really understand what you're saying here? So of what the state is, when I say the state, I don't mean the state of Iowa. I mean the, I mean the government. I mean okay. the, um, you know, I mean what's happening in Washington, D.C. and all aspects of our government. Okay. And it could include some of our, you know, our, our state as well. The, the state, think of those in power who control our government. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So, so let me just say this. The Christian worldview believes in limited government. That God, Jesus is Lord, and the government is under him, mm-hmm. right? And we submit to Jesus as Lord first, and the government second. And so if the government tells us to do something that Jesus says not to do, we disobey the government, yeah. okay? What socialism believes, and what you could even call it just statism believes, is that the, there is no God, and so the government takes the place of God. Mm. And, the, and you look to the government as God. As your provider, as your protector, as your educator, they tell you what to worship. They tell you what to do with your body. They tell you what to do with everything. Yeah. The state is God. Mm. And many people, they don't even believe it, but that is their worldview right now. Mm-hmm. They trust the state for everything, and they lean on the state rather than lean on the lordship of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And the state and, the, and, and those two things are at odds. Jesus talked about Caesar you know, Caesar being at odds with Jesus and give to Caesar what is Caesar, but give to God's what is God's, right? And that's just not talking about the coin. It's talking about, you know, even more than that. Right? His life. Things. Talking yeah. about life, talking about taxes, talking about um, the rule of law, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the state, as the state keeps getting more and more power and centralizing power and centralizing control gets more and more power, and then we ultimately lose individual freedom mm-hmm. and... Religious liberty eventually goes on to that because why? The state is now God. The, the state is the ultimate in, mm-hmm. in society yeah. rather than Jesus. And here's the other thing. When the state gets too big, it's anti-Jesus and Jesus and God actually will tear the state down. Yeah. Yeah. 
This is why many regimes, one of the reasons many regimes have, have fallen right. when they've tried to uh, take the place of God. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. So first thing we need to realize, uh, Abraham Kuyper said it best, there's not one square inch of all creation that Jesus Christ doesn't stand up and declare mine. Everything owes its allegiance to Jesus. He's yeah. holding everything together, whether governments, whether philosophies, whether schools, whether everything, okay? Yep. That's the first point. Second point. The second truth is that biblical salvation is comprehensive in scope and restorative in nature. God's purpose in salvation is to restore the whole life of humankind in the context of a renewed creation. Now, we've been talking about this for 10 years at Sacred City. Our calling as Christians and as a church is not just to save souls. It is to renew all of creation, to bring everything. Now, renewing doesn't just mean um, cleaning up an old building or cleaning up a neighborhood. Renewing also means bringing things back in line under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So Wilberforce, Wilberforce, uh, renewing the culture for Wilberforce meant outlawing the slave trade. Right, it mean meant reforming morals. Okay, yeah. so it it's bringing things. So one of the things renewing creation for us means we want to ban abortion. Yeah, that's one of the things it means for Christianity, uh, for the Christian. We want to ban abortion because killing children is a sinful, heinous thing, mm-hmm. and the gospel of Jesus Christ wants to see that whole industry come under the lordship of Jesus Christ and the medical industry come under the Lord lordship. And I think even Jesus deeper Christ. than that too, just uh, restoring like the structures that are even getting before abortion and why people actually want to abort babies. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that means Jesus is Lord of all and our job is to bring everything that's, that's antagonistic to Jesus to convert it and renew it and bring it under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. City governments, educational systems. Okay, so their educational systems, well, I'll get into that later. Okay. So that's the first, first point. The Christian worldview is a comprehensive story that is at odds with other stories. So as soon as you hear that we're at odds, you can hear that, okay, there's a lot of language out there like the cultural uh, cultural warrior or something like that, or like we're... You're a culture warrior or, mm-hmm. or that, well, there's there's some truth to that. The, the Bible has some language that we are at odds with uh, other other worldviews, yeah. right? Now, Islam is one that's clearly a little more antagonistic than others, uh, but secular humanism, statism, all these mm-hmm. different things, okay? So will church and state always be separated? Well, they're not. It depends what you mean by separated. They're both under the lordship of Jesus, and so they're both responsible to obey Jesus, right. okay? But they have different roles, okay? Okay, they're, they're in different spheres of authority that God has set up. Um, just like the family is a, is a separate sphere. The, the family is the, the primary sphere of society is family. And then we've got the church that serves that in one way. We've got the state that serves that in another way, okay? So, but there is, now there is, some there's overlap and and some separation mainly the separation is that the, that the church or that the state is not meant to um demand that people worship any certain way mm-hmm. they're not to put now here, here, here's why well i don't want to get into it too much because we can go we can go way off yeah. but we don't want a state church 
Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. As soon as the state gets involved in the church, it gets mixed up with power and all kind of different things, and it corrupts. It corrupts the church. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there there must be some kind of separation, but that doesn't mean that our state can't still be based on Christian principles mm-hmm. and have the Ten Commandments and under the law of God and all these different things, that they're operating with a Christian worldview in their sphere, mm-hmm. right? And even in the Christian worldview, there should be a separation of government and Christianity because Christianity cannot be forced upon anyone. Mm-hmm. A person must believe and embrace their self mm-hmm. to be a Christian. Whereas Islam, there is no separation because in Islam, you can convert somebody at the, at the edge of a sword mm. to, 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 to be a Muslim. And so it's, it's totally fine for the state to be completely, the state and the, the mosque basically almost be one thing. Mm-hmm. Right. right? Okay. It's different in, in Christianity. So, so we're in this society. We are living as Christians with the Christian worldview. You, we want to see our whole society embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And all aspects of society come under his lordship. And yet there's... Many people that we live in the city with who don't share our worldview, Mm -hmm. okay? So how should we view ourselves in the midst of that type of culture? Mm -hmm. Well, Jesus gave a great example in John um, 17, verses 13 through 18, and he said this. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may be that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. He says, I do not ask you, he's praying to the Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Hmm. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So this principle that Jesus is laying down for us here is because we've received the word of God, so because we know what God's will is in everything, because of his, he's given us his word, mm-hmm. we have his word now, and now he gives us his word, and now we have a biblical, we're meant to have a biblical worldview, be shaped by that, that worldview, and now he sends us to live in the world, but not of the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the principle. Yeah. Christians are in the world, but not of the world. So, we are missionaries to the culture that we live in. So what, is it, so what does it look like as a Christian to be in the world, but not of the world? Yeah. Why don't you read the quote from the book? Yeah. If we are to live faithfully in the biblical story, we must become critical participants in the cultures that surround us. Okay, pause. It's the first time I've, I've studied a lot in culture, a lot of engagement, a lot of mission. This is the first time I've ever heard these two words put together, and I, I really like it. Critical participants. Mm-hmm. Critical participants. Now, expand on that. Yeah. As participants, our relationship to culture is positive. We are part of it and identify with it, seeking as members, fellow citizens, and participants to love and cherish all of its created goodness. Pause. So we are, we are in the culture. We are in the world, right? Yeah. And so first off, we're participants. Oh, I mean, he's talking about here. It's not first off, but we're participants. So we're in the culture. So I'm going to go and I'm going to eat good pizza. And I don't I necessarily, I don't care that this guy is not a Christian, right. right? I'm eating good pizza and good pizza brings glory to God. 
right? Mm-hmm. Because it's good in itself, mm-hmm. all right? So there's going to be some things that we are participating in, all right? But we don't just blindly participate in, in everything, right? We're meant to be critical participants. Now, what does he mean by critical? As critical participants in culture, however, we will often find ourselves standing in opposition to it, rejecting and challenging the idolatry that twists and distorts its development. There are thus two sides to this faithful engagement, affirmation and rejection, participation and opposition, solidarity and separation. This has often been expressed as being in the world but not of the world. Okay, so there are some aspects of culture that we have to reject. Mm -hmm. We have to oppose. And there are going to be some things that we can be completely we can participate in, right? And yet there are going to be some things that we have to oppose and we have to vocally oppose them. Um, and so we, we should get, get used to having that tension mm-hmm. where we're in the world, but not of the world. They're going to like us and they're going to hate us, Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And there's, there's this real tension there. Mm-hmm. Now, if we're not aware of that, now here, here's the pressure. If you're in society and you're in culture and all you feel is, oh man, I'm pretty cool here. Mm-hmm. They're cool with me. I'm cool with them. Yeah. Then you have been de-Christianized. Break that down. This is what he says in this book. As for the Christian who is not conscious of his dilemma and he is in the majority he is becoming more and more de-Christianized by all sorts of unconscious mm-hmm. pressures. So this is what it means. He has not... So when Jesus contextualized himself to the first century, he wore the same clothes, he has had the same haircut, right? He looked the same, had the same culture, ate the same foods, okay? So he participated in the culture in a certain way, but he did not engage in any of the sinful practices that were going on. Mm-hmm. And the, the way they treated women, he didn't participate in that. And uh, the, the, the way some Jews were selling out their countrymen for the taxes, and, and they, he, didn't, he didn't sin in any way. He was yeah, even tempted yeah. by the devil. He didn't sin in any way. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, and, that, and he had to fight people. Not literally fight people, but he had to like resist them making him king and he had to stand against them and he had to call them out. And his public ministry was, was, was controversial and and oppositional in a, in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Right. Well, here's the deal. If you find yourself fitting in to your culture, and this is any culture, then you have, you have now accommodated to that culture and you're not contextualized to that culture. Mm. So contextualization remains true to Scripture, true to God, while taking on the cultural form of your current culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Accommodation ta- allows the culture to shape them. Mm-hmm. So now they no longer have a Christian worldview. Yeah. They think just like the culture thinks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, this is a major problem in our churches today. This is why young people can go go to church and can uh, go to youth group, and then when they take a worldview test, they still test just like all their other peers. Mm. The only questions they might have got right was how do you be saved? Mm-hmm. Oh, except Jesus Christ, my you know. But when it comes to the rest of the stuff the Bible teaches, they think just like the culture does. Yeah. yeah. So, the book talks about three errors in with missional engagement. So three errors of the way that we contextualize ourselves in a city. Um, what's that first one, Kevin? Yeah, you withdraw from secular culture, they say, into a Christian ghetto where you abandon the West to its idols. Okay, this is... Um, I've never heard ghetto and Christian together, so... <laughs> yeah, <the> Christian ghetto. <laughs> um... Yeah, well, this is the uh, Benedict Option. Rod Dreher's book, The Benedict Option, is basically just create a Christian... It's kind of like just move out to the country and mm-hmm. create a little Christian commune, and we're going to let the, the West go to hell. We're going to let Davenport go to hell. We're going to let Iowa go to hell. We're going to let country go to hell, but we're going to keep our little Christian commune, mm-hmm. okay? Um, now... God has called us to be salt and light. Yeah. And so we don't have the opportunity just to, to move out of the ghetto. We're supposed to be in, in the world, but not of the world. So, um, you know, in a lot of ways it is, you know, not embracing our identity as missionaries to actually live, you know, in the world. Yeah. So what, what, what can help people not get sucked into this, this type of worldview that we're, that we're talking about? Cause it seems like it's so easy because we're in the culture every single day. What, what, what does it look like to not get sucked into that? Well, first off the, the withdrawing from secular culture into a Christian ghetto. Um, I think, man, I think that is a fear-based approach for the most part. It's either a fear-based, it's fear-based, and it's not historically informed. Mm. So, when I, I I've been thinking a lot about like, yes, yeah, the our country sucks right now. Our country is uh, walking away from God and going in the in the direction of totalitarianism and statism and socialism and ethically and morally we have we are godless and it's and god's going to turn god if he hasn't already i mean we're under his judgment already and so i am concerned about it right but then i go back and i think about the apostle paul you know well when when god was telling the apostle paul teaching the apostle paul in romans 13 about the governing authorities and about uh, the governing authorities are the servants of god and he's teaching him about limited government, teaching him about all, all of these things. Paul had never seen, Paul had never been a part of a Christianized culture, mm-hmm. right? Like, we, and, and when I say that, many of us, we are, we are right now living 2,000 years from that, and the West was Christianized. It was not, it's never been, you know, fully Christian, right? Yeah. You can't do that. It's reformed and always reforming. But, 
the ideas of, of our laws, our justice system, the separation of powers, the way that our co- country was built, really on the doctrine of sin, that we don't want any man to have centralized, or woman, to have centralized power and authority, so we separated the powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea of we call the Puritan work ethic, uh, cap- even capitalism, it can go wrong, but capitalism still is the best financial system in the history of the world, creates more wealth than anywhere else in the world, lifts more people out of poverty than any other, any other system. All of these things come from religious liberty, freedom of speech. All of these things come from a Christian worldview. And now here, we're, we're getting upset because these things are, we're about to lose these things. But the Apostle Paul, when God was teaching him these things, had never seen it. It never even happened. Right. So we can see it with our eyes that, whoa, crap. There, there can be such a thing as a Christian society. Mm-hmm. Right now, it was, it's never been perfect. It always needed to be reformed and made, and made better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't think that this withdrawal approach, it might be okay for seasons, but I, I just don't, I don't, I just see it as, as laying down our arms, laying down our calling, laying down our missionary calling from God and just giving up mm-hmm. because it either seems too hard or we don't have the faith to believe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'd say, read your Bible, read your Bible, man. And, yeah. and, uh, be in the world and out of the world. Okay. The second approach, now this approach, by far, I think this is the most damning response and the most problematic in the church and in the culture at large right now. What is it called? Accommodate ourselves to modern culture, reminding ourselves that God loves his world and shutting our eyes firmly to the equal and opposite truth that God does not love the sin that has twisted and thwarted human culture from its foundations upward. So accommodation means to allow the culture to shape you in a sinful direction rather than having a biblical, letting God's word shape you. Now, this happens often and we, we don't even realize it. You know, um, we talk about things that the culture wants us to talk about, mm-hmm. and we don't talk about things that the culture doesn't want us to talk about. Mm. Right? Now, one of my biggest influences in life and ministry has been Pastor Tim Keller. Okay? His style of preaching is so much different from mine. He's so much more intellectual than I am, so much more well-read. And he's just always helped me think gospel-centered. Um, but he's in New York City, Manhattan, where the most dangerous place for an African-American to be is in the womb of their mother. More babies are aborted in New York City than they're given birth to. And in the 20 years of ministry in Redeemer Fellowship, uh, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, he, he mentioned abortion from the stage a total of 50 times. And some of that was like 13 times in one sermon and different things like that. 50 times. Now he talks about racism a lot. He talks about legalism a lot. He talks about moralism a lot. He talks about um, the greed a lot. He talked about other things a lot. But when it comes to this heinous evil that's happening in his city, he only mentions 50 times in 20 years. Mm-hmm. 
That's only twice a year. That's like barely, you know, two and a half times a year. He even mentions the word in mm -hmm. his sermons. Now, opposed to that is John Piper. And, John, and the reason I know this is because I have both of their sermon archives. I have their sermon archives in, in my Logos, and I can search it. And I searched John Piper's, and John Piper has spoken about, in 20 years ministry or something like that, spoken about abortion 500 times. Wow. 500 times, right? That's what I'm talking about. I think Keller accommodated to the culture in regards to abortion. I know he doesn't believe in it. I know he knows it's a sin. I know he, 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 when he speaks about it, he does condemn it. But he just doesn't, he just shuts up. Mm -hmm. He just doesn't say anything about it. Yeah. Right? And I've never even checked on like homosexuality, LGBTQ. I haven't searched those things yet, but I bet he's low on those things too. Mm. And I believe it's because he's accommodated to the culture around him. And he basically has the worldview, well, if I say those things, people won't come to my church and people won't get saved. And so the culture has therefore shaped his ministry in an ungodly direction. Now, I still love him. He still preaches the gospel. He's still gospel-centered, you know, in a lot of ways. But I think he's, he's missed it. And if Tim Keller can miss it, right, and we all love Tim Keller, where are we missing it? Yeah. Right? Where, where are we missing it? And so um, no Christian can find accommodation to be a faithful option. To accommodate to the culture is to sin. Okay, uh, the third uh, wrong approach to culture. Yeah, it's adopting a form of dualism that separates things that you should fight for from things that they call neutral in the conflict of competing worldviews. All right, so this dualism assumes, makes this, the fatal assumption that there, are, that there are some areas in culture that cannot be corrupted mm -hmm. or are like neutral. They're, they're, they're not, uh, it's like a ceasefire zone or something. There's yeah. this zone in culture where that the enemy's not trying to turn that thing into idolatry, yeah. right? And um, so the, the dualist would say, well, of course abortion is wrong. We should condemn abortion. But then when it comes to public education, they would say, oh, oh that's just neutral. It's just neutral. It's not, it's not a big deal. They're not, not understanding that the, the public education is, is also an all-encompassing worldview. Mm -hmm. What worldview are they teaching in that, that whole education system? There's a reason why all of our kids are becoming socialists. Yeah. Because the, the worldview of higher education right now is socialism. It's, it's a socialist a worldview. And so... There, we have to realize there, we can't separate it. This is why we call it, remember, sacred city. All, everything is sacred. Everything, everything is meant to be lived before the face of God. And it's all, Jesus says, it's all mine. There are not some aspects of culture that the enemy just says, oh yeah, those are neutral zones. Mm -hmm. No, he wants to turn. Everything is either serving the Lord or it's serving another God. Yeah. And so we have to be aware of that tension at all times. Mm -hmm. There are not things that are just simply neutral. Right. Okay. Now, those are the negatives. Now, the, the three positive aspects of biblical cultural engagement. So this is the way that we have to, with our Christian worldview, this is how we have to uh, engage 
in society and engage in the culture. We have to keep three things uh, in our view at all times. One, creational design. So we believe in creation. We don't believe in just in nature. This is something that's happened by itself. We believe God designed it. And God's original design was good, Mm -hmm. right? And so there are things that are in the culture that are good because of their created goodness, right? Mm-hmm. Because of they're just they're they were created good. But the second aspect we have to keep in mind, we have to keep in, ma- in mind the fall, right? Cultural idolatry that God created everything good, but everything can potentially go bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everything can potentially be turned into an idol, and an idol is a false god. Yeah. Right? And so we we have to be constantly holding these two things together like okay, yeah, there's good in it. But that's where it goes bad. Mm-hmm. And when it goes bad, it becomes an idol, a false god that we have to resist, right? And then the third aspect is the healing potential, or we would say redemption. We can renew it. We can redeem it. It can be healed, right? So there's this, some things we can re- receive with good that are good, some things we need to reject uh, because they're idolatrous, and then there's some things that can be healed yeah. and can be redeemed, and we, we can work, uh, work for the redemption of those things. So think of this, think of sports, okay? Think of sports. How do sports, where can we see the creational design in sports and athletics? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking both of you guys. Answer. I mean, I can answer. I ain't going to answer my own question. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, ask it again. So where can we see God's goodness in creation in sports or creational design in sports or athletics? I think just the way we're, I mean, we're creating this image and, you know, um, a lot of us want to, I guess you want to say compete in a way. Um, but at the same time, competing can go very bad, you know? <laughs> yeah, don't go there, though. But just, yeah, okay. Competition. Many people think competition is a result of the fall. It's not. Competition is something our society has been built on, and it's actually a good thing mm-hmm. that we want to outdo one another, and that out, Bible even says outdo one another in showing honor. Yeah. Compete with one another. Mm-hmm. Competition creates excellence. Mm-hmm. It makes us all better, mm-hmm. right? It makes us better athletes. It makes us better husbands. It makes us better fathers. It makes us better. So sports tap into that creational reality that we we're, we're meant to k- compete. We're meant to use our physical bodies in certain yeah. way. Mm-hmm. Do everything you do for, to the glory of God. You know, when you, um, you know, when you have developed your body to be able to swing a hammer or to be able to bench press something or back squat something or run a four-minute mile, that brings glory to God. Mm-hmm. The, the famous movie, uh, Chariots of Fire, they, he says, uh, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. And to win brings glory to God. That's what he says in that movie. And he's just saying, because God made me fast. Why did God make a cheetah so dang fast? It brings glory to him to watch that thing smoking across the Serengeti or whatever, right? So when when we do athletic events, can you think of any other ways that it points to the creational design? I mean, working together as a team to Mm -hmm. accomplish a goal. Mm -hmm. Yep, teamwork, all kind of things, okay? So there's creational design. 
I remember the first time I went and saw a Major League Baseball game, and I saw them throw the baseball from the stands, and it looked like it was on a rope. Mm. And my, you know, and Little League, ours are all like yeah. looping tosses, and I watched, and I was like, whoa, yeah. that can people can do that? <laughs> That's just cool, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, when I watch, you know, Najee Harris last year for Alabama jumping over cornerbacks for a touchdown, I'm like, yes. Our Tom Brady being down and end up coming back and winning the Super Bowl. Insane, I mean. insane. Yeah, at 104 years old. It's insane. <laughs> he's bionic, though. He's half bionic. So, okay, so there's goodness in sports, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Cultural idolatry. How do sports go bad and turn into idols and false gods? Becomes you're a winner or you're nothing. Okay, yep. All or nothing type mm-hmm. of stuff. Zero-sum game. Yep. What else? And I think, I mean, even we're just talking about competing, right? I mean, it can it can go bad because you're trying to outdo the person and not have honor you do whatever it takes to to win cheat you know still for the athlete it becomes winning and being good and being great and getting the scholarship and going on becomes more important than god Mm -hmm. yeah for the parents and for the athletes um they're willing to sacrifice their discipleship Mm -hmm. to go to games and to be on a traveling team they give more money to sports than they do to God, they're going to be held accountable for that. Mm. Like, that's a sin against God. You're worshiping a false God. Literally, you're sacrificing yourselves and your children to a a false God. Mm -hmm. It's no different than than bloodletting of the old, you know, the old, in old timing, sacrificing your children on the altar. It's a different God. It's a different worldview. And Christians cannot participate in it. They're accommodating to the culture, and, and they're losing their children in the process. Yeah. Okay? Healing potential. Where, where is the avenues for redemption in, in sports? I know Bob Thune and Dusty White talked about a few years ago when their kids were in baseball. They became coaches. Mm. And... Athletics are a great opportunity to develop relationship with kids, to teach kids honor and all different kinds of things, even invite people to church. But one of the things that they did was they controlled the schedule. Yeah. Mm. So they had no games on Sunday. They had no games on, you know, youth night or whatever. Yeah. They, they set the tone. And so <laughs> they, cr- they redeemed something good, right? And they didn't, and they, and they refused, I think they refused to travel a certain dis- distance to or something, you know, like mm-hmm. we're not, you know, we're not going to, to Des Moines, which is two and a half hours away or something like right, that. Right, you know, we're yeah. not going to take everybody's schedule up. And maybe it's uh, also we're only going to practice two nights a week or something like that. Yeah. You know, like we're just not going to be crazy about this. Mm-hmm. I think it's good, too. Like even if you, I mean, definitely if you're like these guys, um, they're gospel-centered men, um, but they're coaching these kids. And a lot of times um, a lot of coaches talk down to kids, but also being able to encourage them and, and love them well even in their losses. Yeah. hmm mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, how many people, there's many people at the church. I mean, Alex, you're one of them. Yeah. I coached you. Yeah. Like, I was your wrestling coach. And so there's opportunities for the gospel in athletics. Yeah. Like crazy. Mm-hmm. Opportunities to share the gospel, develop friendships, invite people to church, see their life change. So there's a huge uh, opportunity. But here's the deal. God would never call us to sin. 
in order to reach someone to, for Christ. Yeah. Please hear that. God will not call you to sin, accommodate to culture, in order to reach someone for Christ. So you don't say, well, I want these kids on my baseball, my traveling baseball team that practices five nights a week and we have tournaments every single weekend. We're going to miss church for the next three months. I'm called to be a missionary to them. Uh, no, you're not. Right. That's like me saying, you know what? God's called me to, to go uh, minister to the girls out of the strip club. I'm going to go out to the strip club, you know, five nights a week and I'm going to sit there and I'm just going to pray for them. Well, uh, Some no. people will say you're in community. <laughs> yeah. So, as my wife, you know, calls the elders of the church and uh that's a common now that my example is is ridiculous like we yeah. all know that's sin right but we have to see that accommodating to the culture is just as bad yeah it's just as bad it's just as clear if you're missing the gathering on sunday morning consistently you're sinning against god if you can never gather with your missional community, you're sinning against God. Mm-hmm. If sports have become more important to you than God, and it's not what's going on in, in your mind or in your heart, it's what, what your life actually looks like. Yeah. If you're yeah. spending more money on sports, you're worshiping a false God. Yeah. So you're accommodating the culture. So now, even in the sports, okay, so a Christian shows up and says, hey, we're not going to do this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. So that brings immediately up the, the fifth and final point that since we have a different worldview and we will not accommodate to culture. We are going to be persecuted. Yeah. There's going to be some conflict. There's going to be some conflict. Yeah. My kid can't play those games. Well, then he's going to sit the bench. Okay. Well, I guess my kid's going to sit the bench. Mm-hmm. Right. What's the, what did the text say there, Kevin? Yeah. Um, if we, as the church want to be faithful to our equally comprehensive story, we will find ourselves faced with a choice either accommodate ourselves as a minority community and modify the comprehensive claims of the gospel or remain faithful and experience some degree of conflict and suffering. That's it. So we really have one, we only have, this is the choice of the church. We either accommodate the culture, don't talk about things that offend everybody else, that offends the culture, only to talk, talk about what they like, or preach the gospel, the comprehensive story of God, and people are going to be offended and we're going to become a minority community. Yeah. You know what I mean? Basically, we're going, to be perse- we're going to be persecuted. Your kid will be persecuted. Yeah. You know? What's more important to you? Faithfulness to the gospel with persecution or accommodation to the gospel and unfaithfulness to God? Yeah. There, there is no other option here. Right. We've believed the lie that we could accommodate to culture and, and our kids could still be Christians. Yeah. It's not true. Yeah. This is why so many Christian kids are not staying faithful to God. Mm. They've accommodated to the culture in many different ways that many people didn't even didn't even. Sometimes it's it's they're accommodating culture and don't they're not even aware of it. Mm. It's not blatant things like sports like we're talking about. It's more things like what we've been talking about: trusting their emotions, yeah, trusting their feelings, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so as Christians, it's important for us to remember that persecution is promised. And has been from the beginning. They crucified Jesus. Remember that, guys. Jesus was the most loving man on the face of the planet, and they hated him and killed him. Yeah. So when people are tell you that's not loving to say that, they told Jesus the same thing and they killed him for it. And the gospel he was love. is offensive. Yeah, and yeah. God is love. You can't say God, who is love, you're not loving. Mm. 
your definition of love is wrong. Yeah. God is love. And so to speak his truth and to speak his word and to, and to have a biblical worldview, that is the loving thing to do. And to call people to repent and to return to the biblical worldview, that is love. It, is it offensive to them? Absolutely. Because it tells them your way is wrong and God's way is right. Yeah. That's, that's, what, that's what the message of the cross. Take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't trust yourself. Don't trust your feelings and follow Jesus. Yeah. That's the message of the gospel. Okay, so that's our posture towards the culture. It's in the world, but not of the world. There's going to be some things that we can embrace because God created them good, but everything has the potential to go bad, so we have to be careful with that. We can't just accept something uh, thinking that it's no big deal because it could easily slide into adultery, uh, idolatry. And uh, there's a lot of things that we need to be working to redeem and to renew and restore. So... Um, guys, hopefully this podcast, again, is encouraging you, is helping you. We want to help you think Christianly about all aspects of life. you got a topic for us. you got some questions for us. Please email us. It really does help us to hear how you're hearing this podcast, how you're responding to it. Uh, we want to, we want to uh, you know, feed you and help you in any way we possibly can. So we love you. God bless you. Talk to you soon.